And I was like, social studies isn't on there. And everybody's like, there's no social studies. And there's like, there's no social studies. And so we emailed and we're like, where does social studies go? They forgot about social studies. The district forgot about an entire required, you know, segment of school that we're just, we're left out. And they're like, just, um, they go, just pick one you like. And it's like, one I like, but they're none of them are relevant. Welcome to Education Rx. The education system in the U.S. is sick, and we all need to find ways to heal it. I'm Holly Bronson. I'm Shannon Donaway. Together, we have almost 50 years of experience working as professionals in a school setting. We may not have all the answers, but we're looking for people who have a piece of the solution puzzle. This is Education Rx. All right, so today I am on my own because Shannon is still working and we have Devin Siebold. Yeah, Siebold. Right? Yep. He is here in my town, Albuquerque, New Mexico, to do a comedy show with board teachers. And we really wanted to interview him and this was the chance. And so I'm just flying solo today and Shannon will be with me tonight to go to the show. Awesome. We're super excited. Mm -hmm. I personally have been following you for at least, what is that, four years? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. 2019, I think. Definitely a great comic relief, mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but super excited to see the show tonight. I've been watching board teachers and following them for about a year now. Is that about how long they've been around or longer? I just no, they've late been around probably nine, 10 years. Okay, mm -hmm. see, I'm late to the party as yeah, always. Okay. <laughs> um, but I'm just really excited about what they're doing, and I love that they are really elevating educators who have multiple skills. That is something that I think we need more of. So today we're going to get a chance to talk to Devin and find out more about him. I'm going to geek out a little bit because I have been following him for a long time <laughs> and I get to ask all the questions I've always wanted to ask. Go for it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was setting up, I started to accidentally ask questions. But, oh, no, I'm going to ask you that in a minute. So we'll just start. How long have you been posting and doing your stuff online? I started doing stand-up 10 years ago and then about two years then I transitioned to doing online videos. So about eight years I've been posting. Most people did discover me during the pandemic. It was more of just self-therapy. Prior to that, I was I was publishing stuff, but it was just making myself laugh and <laughs> trying to get through the day, the craziness of teaching. I was like, how can I make this a funny video to laugh about later? And um, there were quite a few people following early on, but then definitely the pandemic was when everything took off because teachers needed uh, comedic relief for sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. And what grades were you teaching? I taught, I started off teaching seniors in high school, then went to middle school for a little bit and then went back to high school. Mm -hmm. What What did you teach? I taught intensive reading and then everything social studies, every single subject you could imagine, psychology one and two, government, economics, world history, civics, uh, just everything under the social studies umbrella. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what is your sweet spot for who you like to teach? <laughs> oh, Age for who? Uh, oh, okay. Um, I definitely the, the seniors for sure. I really enjoyed the government economics combo because they okay. needed me to pass and get a diploma. So there was that hanging over there. Highly motivated. Yeah. Plus, I only saw them for half the year. So it was, you know, just quick. And it was, you know, let's get to it, knock it out. And then another group would come in. I know that middle school is a very challenging age, not just for teachers, but for parents and for students. Mm -hmm. When my son was in seventh grade and was having a hard time with being bullied, 
uh, one day I told him, you know, I just, I wish I could go back to middle school. Said nobody ever mm. in the history of ever. It is the worst time in your life. Yep. Kids are mean. You feel so awkward. You haven't kind of got your groove yet. So I think it takes a special breed of teacher to hang in there with those middle schoolers and see them through. They're so important. Yeah. If you are a middle school teacher, God bless you. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did middle school for three years and I wouldn't, I would have probably left earlier, but I got lucky because I taught sixth grade first and then they moved me to seventh. So I had the same kids and then they offered to move me to eighth. So I had the same kids. So I really liked that group, but the amount of energy that they had just was like, sucking the life out of me it was to try to you know manage it on a daily basis so there was chaos at the school I was at we were in the news every five minutes there was uh, principals in principals out community members it was just a weird vibe that I had for those three years so you know it's one of those things where I, I probably could talk more about it, but it's like a repressed memory at this point. <laughs> so I would, I would need a therapy couch and uh, slow breathing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's not go to your happy place. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So when you started doing your things online, how did that sort of more for you where you were able to leave teaching and do this stuff full time? So you can make money online through videos and, right. and that I was monetizing, doing okay on it. it. wasn't enough to leave. I was doing stand-up comedy and combined between that stand-up comedy and just kind of doing side work and stuff. I, I could leave teaching, but I actually really enjoyed it. And so I stayed probably four years after I could match, I had matched my teacher pay okay. to where I could leave. And yeah, it, it was kind of putting out videos, doing stand up, speaking, you know, trying to make something work. I put out a kid's book and and stuff like that. So having all those powers combined, I was able to leave the classroom. But I, I stayed in as long as I could and just did it till I couldn't do it anymore. I think the majority of people who go into teaching and especially those who've stayed Mm -hmm. and are still teaching, they do it because they love it. Yeah. And I know I love working in education. Honestly, right now I'm only doing it a very tiny bit. Mm -hmm. I'm supervising some OTAs for monetary reasons I had to leave. And I miss it. I miss my kids. I miss my coworkers. Yeah. If you don't have good coworkers, it's hard. I used to say 10 years in, if you're 10 years in, then you're that's you know obviously something you love and you want to do it but i think nowadays it's probably closer to five i don't i think statistics around Mm -hmm. that right we were just talking about this in our most recent episode we were recording it used to be 11.8 percent of incoming college freshmen would declare education as their major now it's 4.2 yeah so it's like a third of what it used to be plummeting even farther down and then they say for new teachers it's some kind of number like 60% leave after five years. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would, we would, uh, I, I taught Title I schools and, and they were a lot more demanding than people yes. I think expected. So I would have, I, we would literally have new teachers show up the first day and me and the other teachers in the back would just look and would be like, I get that one a week. <laughs> that one might stay a month. That one a year, you know. Oh, look, they're back, but they'll probably leave again, you know. It was, yeah. Yeah. And so explain for people who don't know what Title One is. Title One is when it comes to basically the the 
the income levels of the kids, the socioeconomic status of the school. It's the lowest of the low. It's it's a lot of students that come from very economically challenged homes in an area that's, you know, typically harder to staff too. That's the yes. other thing is you, you have a higher turnover rate for teachers. And usually, unfortunately, for some reason, the schools are broken down, kind of beat up. Yes. Uh, the schools that I taught in definitely needed some work for sure. Even though there was always Title I funds, the irony of uh, Title I funds was you could never spend them on things that Title I schools needed. They were, everything, every time they were like, oh, well, that doesn't, that purchase doesn't qualify under Title I funds. It's like, well, what does, you know? Right. And, and we couldn't buy furniture. It's like uh, chairs are breaking. I'm like, I need some new chairs. They're like, ah, it's not Title I funds. I'm like, but the kids can't sit down. <laughs> I mean, stand. let's, let's start with that, you know? But yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting. So I just moved a year ago from Colorado. And in Colorado, it's one of the states that's legalized for recreational marijuana. And Mm -hmm. so those funds come back to schools on some level, there's a portion of them that come back. And it's the same thing with those funds. Mm -hmm. They're really specific what you can spend them on. And it's usually uh, building stuff. Yeah. And so like you do, you need computers for kids, you can't use it for that. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to pay teachers more. We need more paraprofessionals or educational assistants. You can't spend it on that. So it's tricky because people think, oh, you have all this money. And it's so political where that money comes from, how you can use it, and that it's not what you think it is. No, absolutely not. Yeah, the money doesn't go where it needs to go. And mm-hmm. typically when it goes there, it costs exponentially more. That's the thing that other people don't realize is like buying educational stuff you have to go through approved vendors. And those approved vendors know that you have nowhere else to go. So they gouge their prices yes. exponentially. Like Absolutely. A DVD for my room, I remember distinctly, if I wanted to just buy the DVD at Walmart, it was like eight bucks. It was the story of us. It was like a six DVD set. And it was the story of us. If I wanted to buy it through our approved vendor as, as a school purchase, it was $85. For the same DVD. And it just was like... At least total sense. Yeah. A lot of it is that, you know, you see these bidding, these contractors come in and they know it's government money and it's kind of a blank check. So they usually hire, you Mm -hmm. know. Well, and recently I read that book, Turn the Ship Around by L. David Marquette. And he's talking about, he was a commander or I'm getting his rank wrong. But he was in the Navy Mm -hmm. and he was over a submarine and he was very highly esteemed. And so first they said, we want you to take our best ship, you know, our best submarine. And then right before he was going to take this command, they said, actually, we want you to take the worst one and see if you can turn it around. So he goes in and does this whole 180 over an extended period of time. And part of the deal was, okay, if I take it over, even though it's a government situation, I need to have full reign to do whatever I need to do to make it better. And they agreed because he had a great reputation and all of the things. So he writes this book about how he did that. And I was reading that going, education, military, they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's scary because like Mm -hmm. all of your pay scales, it's very rigid and it's lined out and Mm -hmm. you don't get, you know, like they can't say, well, but you did these amazing things and we're going to get, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Getting money to do things, you have to have approved vendors. It's so Mm -hmm. education's like military. Yep. It is. Absolutely. And it's, it's frustrating too, because you see so much promise and you see also so much abuse in terms of the the money and, and where it goes and, 
it's like you know we how much money did we have and what did we spend it on and okay i still don't have chairs <laughs> you know and <laughs> it, it all comes down to it i'm like i i just don't understand how i can't have chairs in my class you know oh, I know. oh and quadruple the price they break all the time they're not comfortable no and then we're like kids sit still and pay attention mm -hmm. yep. they're like yeah it's uncomfortable yep or they're mm -hmm. leaning back and cracking it and breaking it and of course yep Yep. At least put gum underneath to hold it together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> MacGyver that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think another way that I feel like education is kind of military-esque is we really are still in this mindset in our country of bring everybody in, have a structured curriculum that the teacher must teach this curriculum. You mm -hmm. can't, can't use your individual skills or creativity. You must teach this curriculum exactly as it is. And all students must perform with the, this scale. And that's how we determine. And so everybody come be the same. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And but it also, again, has to do with a few things. You know, first off, uh, updating the stuff. We don't really update things. And that's the same with military, too. I, I used to I grew up in Melbourne, Florida, and all my friends were uh, Patrick Air Force Base families. And I'd go to Patrick Air Force Base and, you know, and then in the mid 2000s, there's, you know, 1980s apples all over the place running things, you know, and schematics and diagnostics. And you're just like, why aren't we updating any of this stuff? And it just never gets updated. You know, you know, the only thing they do update uh, every year curriculum. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just when you get it down and you're like, teachers are like, oh, my God, you know, finally, I've got a the last three months of school and I've figured it out. And they're like, guess what? We're getting new curriculum this mm -hmm. time. Yeah. <laughs> New books, new things. And, and and you have to do it all different. Yeah, you have to do it all different, mm -hmm. teach it all different. And then they've updated new strategies and they hire new speakers to come in. It's all always the same. And luckily, your administrators spent all of the year before going to conferences about every other week in New Orleans and wonderful places like that, mm -hmm. getting all this training. Yeah. I didn't yep. get trained, but they did. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I yep. feel like that does And then happen. they're supposed to pass it on to you, but then they hire somebody. Yes. So we actually had where they all the the, the and principals went and literally they told us they were like we went to a training and um got all the information that we needed to pass on to you and you know we just we just thought that speaker was so good that we hired them to come talk to you and i'm like you mean you went to a training decided you didn't want to train us and hired the guy that trained you to come train us it's like you know Price gouging right. because now we've spent all the money to mm -hmm. fly you and feed you and put you up in a hotel and pay for the training. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to just pay for that speaker in a way. Should we maybe just oh, yeah. all learn together? Yep. We could do that. Knock it out. Mm -hmm. Done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, too easy. Oh, you know, common sense. Well, mm -hmm. and I think on top of that, I, as a special service provider, a lot of times there's new things I have to, in order to renew my license every year, I have to do so many CEUs, right? And so I'm constantly trying to find CEUs that are applicable to what I do so that I can give my best, you know, ideas and, and skills to students. And I have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm -hmm. pay. And talk about price gouging mm -hmm. with these things, like therapy stuff is also mega yep. expensive and I have to be part of a national association. I have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not crying because I love what I do and it's good. It's just, these people are flying around. Like seriously, I've been in districts where my bosses were gone in the second semester. I would say half of mm -hmm. the time going to trainings or conferences 
And I never, ever got a report on that, spent time with them to learn what they learned. No, what they would typically do is they would bring one teacher with them as an extra person and then go, hey, all that stuff was pretty good. You got it, right? Hey, uh, go tell them. <laughs> and that and person was like, I'm so grateful that I got to go learn. Fine, I'll do it. Yep, we would yeah. have those all the time. Low people on the totem pole. That's mm -hmm. what happens. But I think it's really interesting to look at other countries. And there's not only in our, in the United States, we do a ton of standardized testing of kids to see what their grades are and how we're doing. And are we up? Are we down? What do we need to change? We need new curriculum. And we're doing that because of the standardized testing scores that we see or because, you know, and we're passing it off as innovation. It's really just novelty because the people who make those curriculum are mm -hmm. making a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And so it's a great business in a capitalistic society. That's beautiful. But if you look at other countries and there are ways that they test school systems across the world, the U.S. has not gotten into the top 10 for system or academics hmm. since it's been around. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. But when you look at other countries, let's say Finland, because we interviewed the one, we interviewed Dr. Posse Salberg last season, and he used to be huge part of the with the ways that they made reform in their country over an extended period of time. And at one point, I believe he was the minister of education there. And now he literally goes around the world to universities and colleges and helps them improve their education programs so that they can produce teachers that are better equipped and, and more respected. But talking to him about Finland, he said to us, and here he is, this world-renowned guy, right? Like amazing. And he's so educated and so intelligent. He said, I tried to get into the primary education teaching program and I couldn't qualify. Hmm. I couldn't test high enough on the test, the academic tests to get in. Interesting. Yeah. And he said, it's super competitive. And here in the United States, we do not have this problem. No. Why is that? Yeah. We have temporary certificates where you can teach for two years before you even pass a test, you know, so it's uh, for two years, you know, we, we think it's just two years, but that two years is, is the uh, a large percentage of a student's, you know, ability to to gain knowledge, and they they miss out on an entire year of school sometimes because there's teachers that are ill-equipped that are just on temporary certifications that won't end up passing the test that don't know what they're doing that you know are just in the classroom handing out worksheets and showing movies, you know. So then it, it's oh, like, it breaks my heart. Yeah. It's true, but it mm -hmm. breaks my heart, and I feel like we're in this funky time where. Teachers are really raising their voices and saying, hey, things are wrong. Mm -hmm. This is not okay. And I think more than it's ever been. And I think that during COVID, it sort of started and it's amped up. It was happening before then. Mm -hmm. Issues, the things they're talking about, the things you'll hear teachers saying have been happening since before COVID. It just kind of microwaved it and put it out front. I see that. And I think if you are not a person who is in education, you may perceive that as people complaining or being negative or, but the truth is you're talking about people who have really dedicated themselves to, I think, one of the most important professions in the world. Mm -hmm. And it affects everybody, whether you have kids in school, you're an educator, no matter who you are, because the kids today are the leaders tomorrow, mm -hmm. the adults tomorrow. So when I'm retired, when you're retired, these kids today are going to be making the decisions about all kinds of things, wars, economics, all of these things. If you're not scared, maybe you should be. It's been a rough <laughs> five mm -hmm. or 10 years. But I think the takeaway from this is that 
Teachers are really trying to get attention to these issues because we can't solve them if we don't talk about them. And it's not always fun. And so I'm so grateful that you have had in your career, you have really used humor to help people lighten it up because mm-hmm. it's heavy. It's oh yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, I, I speak at schools. When I speak at schools, one of the things I talk about is is how humor is a signal of safety as as a, a natural signal of letting you know everything's going to be okay and how our body responds to that. And it's, it's weird, but you know, because I, I got so many views, I was happy, but I was actually sad too, because it was that they were, teachers were looking for safety. They were looking for something to make them feel better and go, Oh, look, that guy, that guy has the same thing that I go through. Yeah, it's crazy. Is it's crazy everywhere too? And the comments are all the same too. They're always, man, I thought it was just me, and I can't believe that you too. You know, it's true, true, true. It's always the truth is so funny, but it, you know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. And it's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, and so it's, it's um pretty cool to be able to provide that laughter, but also so disheartening that it's in such demand. You know, well, and. I- Throughout the world, humor is in demand. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, COVID was a very hard time. I think beyond that, all the fallout from it, mm-hmm. it, just like we're still picking up pieces. I mean, there's a whole new strain. Everybody's getting sick with it again. Oh, there's a new, what is a vaccine coming out? I'm mm-hmm. I'm done with those. Let's just catch it already. <laughs> Move on. But I think as a world, we've gone through some serious trauma. And we're also making these gains that are exponential because technology and just information wise, we're at a whole nother place. And now we have AI. And I think this is just my humble opinion, but I think with the advent of AI and it being now prevalent in a way we've never seen before with like chat GPT and some of those things, your car can almost drive itself now. It's wonderful and scary. Uh, I think what's really scary is who's going to be manipulating that technology mm-hmm even more important to think about education and educators and how we're educating kids. Is it super important that we harp on them about grammar? I'm not saying we don't need to know grammar and writing. I am an OT and it freaks me out that people aren't teaching handwriting because it is important for a lot of things besides handwriting and eye-hand coordination and the way your eyes work. And so anyway, it's got a lot of other things, but do we need spelling? Do we need you know, addition and multiplication tables the same, or do we need to be teaching more comprehensive problem solving and cause and effect and things so that kids will have the skills to manage mm-hmm. the power that they're getting? Yeah, it's it's there, it's too old though because you do want to kind of stay on the cusp of things, but also it, you you have to understand that when you were educating these kids. We're not just giving them the numbers. You're giving them the process and the the problem solving skills to find the two plus two. I don't know what that means. What can I do? Oh, I can use my fingers and go one, two, one, two, you know, and that seems so basic to, to us. But to children, it's a way of finding a solution that they can take with them. No matter if it's everybody always says, you know, we, we, we I'll never need math again. And I'm like, math. Regardless of whether you can solve the problem or not, it gives you a way to find answers. It gives you a a method of going, okay, so maybe if they carry this many apple, okay, and then you go into your real life and you're like, maybe if I 
I carry this much stuff and maybe I can make it up this ladder and maybe this much weight will balance with this. And it, it it's kind of it just preparing you for the world in terms of problem solving. And and it's not That's just true. just the problem itself. It's the way of, of getting the answer that I think is so important to children. I know when I went. So my first degree was in education. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was all set to be a teacher, did some student teaching, work out so great. Mm-hmm. But I also found myself as a single parent right around then. And I genuinely, because I lived in a state that was very low paying, I thought I can't provide for my family this way. And so I chose to go back to school and I decided I was going to be a physical therapist. was mm-hmm. what I started out doing. I ultimately through a chain of events became an OT, which I love. And that was the right choice, but I had to take an intro biology. Mm-hmm. That intro biology was so much harder for me than when I took advanced microbiology and genetics one and genetics two and three. And it was so hard for me because it was a new way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn those critical thinking skills. It's like a scaffold. You have to get that strong base Mm -hmm. and then you can build on it. And by the time I got to microbiology two and epidemiology and some of those things that I super geek out, I'm such a nerd, Mm -hmm. but I was able to do those and I was able to really digest that information in such a different way that it was so exciting for me because I had built those skills in those first classes, but it was hard. Mm -hmm. It was hard. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the things that just kind of pile on, you know, we're, we're also struggling as a society with parenting and uh, parenting is, is turned into, I'm on my phone, you know, you have Google, you can look it up and it's not the process of looking it up. It's it's the process of talking to another human and having a conversation and going, Dad, what is this? I don't know. You know what? Let's figure it out together and let's let's see. Let me pull out my knowledge and let me try to solve it with you. Oh, we didn't get it, but you know, we we're talking, we're interacting, we're developing a relationship and seeing how you're supposed to talk to another person and help another person in the real world. And and we're just not passing off those basic skills and and, uh, traits of empathy, traits of, you know, of being able to basically communicate as a society. Well, we're losing a lot of our social skills. And my thought is that a lot of that is happening in the home for exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. I mean, I was a single mom Mm -hmm. and I, I was going to school full time and working and trying to raise kids and it was hard. And Mm -hmm. there were plenty of times that I felt like I didn't give them the quality that I needed, but it's funny to listen to my kids now that are grown and they talk about and joke around. So they're a little bit, my first two that I was by myself the whole time, they they're older now and they watch their little brother who's 19 and they're like, Oh yeah, it's so easy. Mom used to make us fold laundry as our time together, but we did because mm-hmm. that oh, we had to get done. We did it together. We would clean the house together. I would try to always find something fun we could do during the weekend. We'd go to the parks and stuff, but you have to make time and it is okay if it's real activities. Mm-hmm. My kids know how to fold some towels. Let mm-hmm. me tell you, <laughs> clean yeah. some toilets. They that's do. <laughs> the stuff they'll remember. And, and it's good too, because that's something that they're learning interacting with you. I think a lot of times parents don't understand that they're no longer parenting, that TikTok is parenting for them and instilling the values and instilling the, 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 what is, you know, valuable to a society, not what is valuable in the home family. And, uh, you know, if you have religion or religion, if you have, you know, cooking skills, cooking skills, it's the value that we get from, from being, you know, in the house. And they're on their phones and they're looking at 
you know, people that value beauty, that value unattainable skills, that value crazy editing and, and, and also entertainment, you know, my child would watch streamers on YouTube doing video games and yes. he watched it a little bit. And I started, no started noticing he was picking up vernacular of the streamers online and saying things that I don't think he fully understood and what, what he was saying. And so, you know, it was one of those things where I sit down and I watch it with him and I'm like, I'm not going to tell you no, because then you're just going to fight me over it. And you're going to think I'm, you know, a jerk. I, I want to see what you're into, but I also want to guide you watch it and go, Oh man, that was pretty cool. So what, what he was probably meaning or what he was wanting to do, you know, and wow, what, you know, so how would you handle that? You know, kind of have discussions about it and discuss the real world implications of what they're watching. And there's just not a lot of parents that are willing to be hands-on parents. They're, they they throw them in front of, you know, YouTube all day long. Well, and I think that also gives that weird catch-22 that we're in in education where parents don't want to do those things, don't want to manage, especially mm -hmm. kids who are struggling with behavioral issues, which we see at a level we've never seen before. So many reasons why. We'll talk about that another day. But... Mm -hmm. Parents are struggling with that and they don't maybe feel equipped. Maybe it's traumatizing to them. Mm -hmm. Maybe it triggers things from their life. Whatever reason, they're not really managing that. Or hard questions come up mm -hmm. and they are super uncomfortable talking to their kid about that. And then schools end up having to manage that because we can't do academics when kids are emotional and not set and ready to learn. And then parents come back around, circle back around and say, you're indoctrinating my kids. You're, you know, you're telling them they should be transsexual or whatever's on Fox News, which is not always reality. If you didn't know that, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not. I maybe there's one person out of a thousand that does whatever's on Fox News, but it's hard because teachers have an obligation, and we are part of the community raising children. We have to talk about some of these things because they have nowhere else to ask questions. Sometimes, no, they don't. I mean. It, yeah. I mean, when I was young, I'd ask Jeeves. I don't know if you remember that. That was, you know, that was Jeeves raised me. But you know, super young. Or Yahoo Answers. I remember Yahoo Answers, which I'd go to it when I needed help. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not as much. We keep kind of putting all the pressure on teachers, but they're they're coming to us different. That's that's the thing. I'm sorry, Very but true. they're not arriving in my classroom the same way they were arriving in the classroom what's causing that well it's the home i mean it, we keep and parents don't want to uh, like look themselves in the mirror and go well maybe i'm a terrible parent because there's there are a lot of bad parents that you know sit and you know dinner out with your kid is is not dinner out with your kid it's dinner out with your you know a husband across from you while your kid's on the phone, your kid's having dinner with the video game, you know? Yeah. And that's the True. thing is, is you, you, we're just not creating a, a good society with, uh, without solid parenting. Uh, you can put a lot of pressure on teachers, but I mean, they're just, they're arriving different. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's part, I think of what's burning teachers out. I'm not a teacher, mm -hmm. so I don't want to speak for them. But as an educator, it's exhausting to really give 125% with kids and barely make a little bit of progress. And mm -hmm. then they're gone for winter break mm -hmm. and they come back and you start from scratch. 
because everything you worked and worked and worked all semester to build gets demolished mm -hmm. over winter break or when a kid is in the classroom, man, if my teacher had told me, I'm going to call your mom, I would have stopped whatever I was doing in a heartbeat. That is not true anymore. Kids are like, call my mom. Right. <laughs> you call her and see what she has to say to you. That's We've got to partner with parents. And I don't know if school districts need to create parenting classes that they offer. I mean, what what burden is that financially and everything else? But we've got to do We got to figure something out. Yeah. Absolutely. Parents, I think, in part are as overwhelmed in this world as we are mm -hmm. and kids are. But also, I think we have a lot of parents who have trauma and mm -hmm. they also need help and they may not have the tools in their toolbox to move forward. So I do not have the answer, but we've got to figure something out. Yeah, I don't have a solution either. But, you know, I think identifying the problem is is obviously the first part of it. It is the first of our 12 steps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the other 12 are yet. Yeah. We'll figure it out and get back to you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Tell me about board teachers, that company. How did your because you sort of got merged in with them. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. So I, I was um, putting out videos and then they saw my videos and this was early on. They had a good amount of followers. I had a decent amount of followers. And then they said, hey, you're really funny. We don't have any original video content. Would you mind doing video content for us? We'll promote you. And I was like, sure. So I signed a contract with them and just started producing videos, early nice. videos for board teachers, writing original stuff, publishing it. It gave me a good following, gave them a lot of content traction. And then later on, I mean, we floated around the idea of doing a comedy tour and that's now come to light. I started my own podcast, Crying in My Car, and then they got into the podcasting game and then they bought it and it's theirs now. And so I produce on their platform and, nice. you know, board teachers is great, you know, sponsor. They've been helping out a lot. And you have a co-host on your crying in my car. Yep. James Yon. He's, he's great. one of, he is the first comedian I performed with, believe it or not. Oh, um, my first ever show, he was hosting it at the Orlando Improv and it was a graduation show because of the comedy class there. And we just became great friends and started doing comedy together. He had me hosting for him for a while. Then I started opening for him. Then we co-headlined. And now he'll even open for me sometimes. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the master. I was just say. Yeah. Ah, the Padawan yep. has arrived. <laughs> yep. Oh, man, I'm such a geek with my Star Wars <laughs> reference. But, you know, if you don't like Star Wars, songs are wrong. Love Star Wars. So you live in Florida. Mm -hmm. Got a family. Yep. And got kids down there and have, awesome. have a good time down there. It's it's a lot of fun. Florida is a good place to raise kids with Disney. It's a <laughs> it's a bad place to raise kids because you can only go there for two months out of the year because it's 900 degrees the rest of the time. But the rest of the, it's it's fun the rest of the time, too. I grew up in Southern California mm -hmm. in Anaheim mm -hmm. and Los Angeles area. And so we lived there, gosh, for, I don't know, six years or so. And as we were driving away to move back to New Mexico, because my mom's family was here and there were reasons she needed to come back. As we're driving away, she asked my sister and I, what are you going to miss most about California? And we looked at each other and said, not Disneyland. Everybody who ever visited us wanted to go to Disneyland. We went to Disneyland mm -hmm. so much. I was like, well, I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Now as an adult, I love it because mm -hmm. I don't go very often. I like Disney World better, yeah. for sure. Much more to do. Much but, more. And California Adventure is really fun, too. Yeah, yep. I'll be going there in three days. Shameless plug. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. it's good stuff. <laughs> and then you mentioned your mom is an educator. Yeah, she uh, teaches third grade right now. So she's she started after me. I don't know why I warned her 
for a long time. <laughs> she was she was doing subbing and was a permanent sub for a long time and said she was going to do her degree in teaching and become a teacher. And I really did warn her. I was like, it's not the same. You know, I, you're a sub, so you get to kind of put the work down and leave. But we have a lot of politics behind it all and things that has to be done and, and more and more work being piled on. And she went for it and got her degree. And <laughs> she like it? No, <laughs> but I mean, it is no, what it is. Yeah, she, she, she enjoys it. But now she's doing she finally moved schools, but she's she's just been having a hard time. It's funny because I started getting texts going. Can you believe they make us do this? And I was like, yeah, I, I told you they would. And she's like, can you believe they're? And I said, I told you they would. And then can you? I'm sorry. I was like, look, we had this conversation 10 years ago when I first started. <laughs> and I warned you that it is a lot of work to maintain, you know, especially elementary level. That's that's more work than middle and high, I think, because of the prep, the constant uh, microscope you're under. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I feel like parents are still fairly involved a lot of times with mm -hmm. elementary. I feel like it peters off a little bit as they get older. I think one of the things that I hear most teachers, especially elementary school teachers complain about is mm -hmm. professional or PDE. Yeah, professional PD, development. Or, yeah, professional development. PD. There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have <laughs> constantly have professional development. They constantly have trainings and you got to know this and be aware of that. And, you know, the kids are little, so the, there's a lot more, you know, fine lines and, and crossing the T's, dying the I's that they have to do at a younger age. At the older, you know, when I taught seniors in high school, they're 17, 18 years old, you know, there's not a lot that they're really, you know, making me be sure that I have to do because they, they know all of it by then they're old enough. Mm -hmm. Well, how many times did you get asked what you wanted for professional development? Oh, never. Yeah, never. In, what you needed. In fact, I remember this is a funny story, but I remember one year. We had the district tell us we were going to go to our location mm -hmm. for whatever training we were doing that day. English was going to be in one location and math was going to be in another location and middle school, elementary. They divided it up. They said, you'll you'll get the stuff, the info the day prior. And so we got the info and it was a full sheet. And it was one of those things where like, you know, you, you always see theater when they post the sheet on the wall and you go down to the program like where how far do I have to drive and I was like social studies isn't on there and everybody's like there's no social studies and there's like there's no social studies and so we emailed and we're like where does social studies go they forgot about social studies the district forgot about an entire required you know segment of school that we're just we're left out and they're like just um they go just pick one you like and it's like one I like, but they're none of them are relevant. And they're like, yeah, just go to one. And we're like, okay. So like, I think I I was like, oh, brush up on my algebra. I think I just went and <laughs> sat in an algebra meeting for an hour. And I was like, none of this is relevant to me at this time, but sure, why not? And uh, yeah, completely forgot about social studies one year. Seven years ago, six years ago, when I was still working in Durango as an occupational therapist. One of the things that was really challenging is that kids early on by second grade need a ton of handwriting support. Yep. It's very common. And so I created a professional development class 
that there was a kindergarten version, a first grade and a second grade version that was all about everything you need to do before you start teaching handwriting so that your kids will be successful with handwriting. Handwriting is not the hard part. It's all the other stuff you do before okay. to prepare them, right? So I taught this class and it was even simple stuff like when your kids are sitting back like this with their back kind of rounded, mm -hmm. they're not learning anything. Mm. When you're up like this mm -hmm. and you're your pelvis is tilted forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. Your brain is in absorption mode. Okay. It can only stay like that for a maximum of 15 minutes, but for little kids, much shorter. Mm -hmm. So you need to teach something and then stop and give them something to do where they can, because when they lean back what? like this and your pelvis tilts backward, the way it triggers your nervous system, now you're processing it hmm. and locking it in. So if you don't give them time to process and lock it in, they can't hang on to it. So a bunch of little things like that, just games and things they could do for eye-hand coordinations like that. That class, after that, I, that class got the highest ranking for the PDs because all those teachers were like, oh my gosh, finally something I can actually use. Relevant. I ended up teaching that class and then the other OTs in my department, I shared with them the class and they taught it and it was full and there were three of us teaching it. And each segment was full every year when we did it. We did it before school started. And I thought, why? Why are we asking teachers what they actually need? Yeah. Yep. We had we had a district-wide one year, a, a judge from the Florida Supreme Court come on Zoom. This was before in COVID. No reason why they couldn't just come, but whatever. <laughs> they are on Zoom. And They're um, really busy. We sat in an auditorium and listened to them just talk about ethics. And they just read. You know, just so you guys know, uh, chapter you know five, uh, paragraph seven says you gotta you gotta be on time. All right, good to know. And you're just sitting there like, where what's going on? You know, like where there's this is not relevant at all. And you couldn't talk to them, couldn't ask questions. They just got on Zoom and talked to us for an hour, and that was it. And then how many times after you've had a PD day or they've taken up time you could have been planning or grading mm -hmm. papers or do you have to go home and do that or get home? Yep. And Most a lot of people act like because teachers get certain months off or certain time periods off that mm -hmm. they just really don't work that much. And I don't think people understand how much work educators do at home. And I'm not even a teacher and I would be making visual schedules, which is not hard. It's just time consuming. Yeah. You got to find the right pictures. You got to print them. You got to cut them out. You got to laminate them and cut them out again. You got to put the Velcro, you got to give it all together. You got to create a document for training. Like, and that's just in my area. And you think about, and I have a few kids I'm doing that for teachers have a classroom full. Mm -hmm. Just drive by a school, an elementary school, especially at five or six o'clock when they got out at two 30 and look at the parking lot. Cause there's several dozen cars still there, you know, and mm -hmm. that's consistent of beginning of the year, definitely to get their room ready. But then it's just, you know, I've got to laminate this and cut this out and got to put this reading center together and it takes time. It's hard. It's a lot of work. And I think if we're going to talk about how to genuinely make education move forward, we have to be talking about systemic changes, which includes political issues. And one of those political issues I think we need to start talking about is in other countries, including Finland. And I like to use them as a reference because Dr. Zellberg made a really great comment as we were talking about like, oh, your kids don't start doing, you know, academic learning, you know, like exactly as a core until like second or third grade. Why do you do that? Oh, there's this amazing research. Where did it come from? The U.S. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, why do your kids only have core instruction for like a maximum of three hours a day? And then they have two to three hours a day of 
curriculars, extracurricular stuff, music and PE and things that help them expand as a human. Oh, they had great research from the US. Mm-hmm. And we're going through and asking these questions and everything that they did that brought them to number one in the world for an education system. And they had a ton of inclusive methodology as well from simple things like everybody in their country got free lunch. Everybody ate the school lunch and it was a healthy, appetizing not it cost us 99 cents Mm -hmm. school lunch and (laughs) simple things like that right so they were number one in the world for the system and number one for academics and Mm -hmm. in the academics what they test is critical thinking problem solving it's not like do you know how to do this algorithm they're like okay you have a group of people and they're on a boat and there's only this many lifeboats and how are you gonna get everybody you know like that kind of problem solving stuff he keeps telling me everything that they did that got them to number one was based on research from the u.s yeah yeah and finally about the third time he said you know your country has the best research and you're the only country that doesn't use it doesn't listen no maybe we should get some research on why we don't use our own research yeah i mean it's it's apparent if you ever travel outside the country the second you are there you're like oh okay that's how it's supposed to be that's you know why aren't we doing that right yeah i went to australia for two weeks and just was blown away at at how, you know, well things run, how, how clean the cities were, you know, everything from tipping and and just paying people better and no tipping is, you know, just the, those kind of night and day things that we're, we see and we let take advantage of us and we shouldn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's a bummer because I heard uh, Simon Sinek talking about on a podcast that he was do- he was talking with, he was saying, America acts like a monopoly. Mm-hmm. in the world and that is so stinking true mm-hmm. like we go everywhere and we're like we're the best and you don't have any other options we're doing this whether you want us to or not and see but the then on the flip side uh the amount of money to give up your u.s citizenship went up i think it was like 20 times the the base rate it used to be like 400 dollars. now it's like five grand to give up your u.s citizenship because we're traveling more and going wait a minute <laughs> You know, it's like you finally see the other side of the fence and you're like, yeah, it's way better. You know, what if I live there? And now it's like you could live there, but we're going to charge you a lot more to live there and stay there. You know, yeah. Giving up your citizenship, look at the the cost of it. It is it is outrageous now. I think to to give up the citizenship of me and my kids would be something like 20 grand right off the bat just to go. We don't want to be U.S. citizens anymore. Imagine just imagine somebody charging me 20 grand to break up with them. You know, it's it's just well, I feel like when I went through a divorce, it might have cost a little. Oh, yeah, mine did. Mine mine cost more than that. That's another story. It's funny because when Trump was running, do you remember during the elections? Mm -hmm. I had a friend who lived in Canada and he had just moved back to Canada. And I jokingly said, are they hiring for mm-hmm. educational positions up in Canada? And he goes, they do not want you here. No. Everybody wants to come here because of Trump. And I hadn't thought of that, but I thought it was being really unique. No, yeah, they're true. It's true. Yep. And in order to get into Australia to be a citizen, it's like crazy what you have to prove that you contribute to their society in order to move over there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny, like thinking of the origins of that country. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's true too. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, kind of interesting. So one of the things I was doing this summer, I was reading a lot and I read Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about on a corporate level, it's not the what or the how, 
it's really the why that make companies do well. Mm-hmm. And he uses Apple as an example. And I just was really compelled by that. And he's talking about all these things in a corporate model, but similar to the other book, Turn the Ship Around. I was like, this totally relates to education because I feel like in this country, we have lost our why. Mm -hmm. And when public education was originally started in the US back in the 1800s, honestly, it was started to create workers because kids were starting to work with family, you know, businesses or doing things to help support the family younger than they are now, but they had no skills. And if the parents weren't teaching them because they were busy running their company or whatever, mm-hmm. so they wanted to create a way to make skilled workers. And that's where it originally started. And I mean, ultimately that is kind of what we're doing, mm-hmm. but it's so much more than that now. And I have seen a lot of people who follow Simon Sinek and he'll put up a video talking about whys and stuff. And they'll say, can you talk about this for education? And he's like, just apply the same principles to education. And I feel like that's kind of apples and oranges. Mm -hmm. Education is its own beast. It is. yeah. And so we're asking everybody that we're talking to right now, what do you think the why is for education today? Oh, um, deep. Yeah. That's a loaded question. Um, I, I don't, I think it's kind of changed. Like you said, it used to be for creating a foundation for a higher education to get, you know, highly skilled positions and highly skilled jobs. I mean, nowadays, I feel like the why for education is almost to provide social interactions and, and opportunities for kids to engage with one another and, and develop responsibility, develop, you know, skills, personable skills. It, it, that's one of the few things that I, I, you know, used to see that would kind of were commonplace pre-cell phone and, you know, now aren't as much. I kind of, I was fortunate enough to come in as a teacher when texting just started. And, you know, I'd, I'd have kids texting every once in a while. Occasionally they'd pull out their phone. And then, you know, by the time I left, it was literally like the second they left my class, it was just head and a phone walking to the next class, no interaction, no discussion, no nothing, you know, so I I don't know, Uh, hopefully it's, it's able to problem solve, work in groups to, to learn collaboration, unfortunately, unfortunately, learn how to be a society. Normally, we had just society and you that was that. And then we looked at not only can you be a society, but you can be a upstanding higher member in society. And I feel like now, School has almost taken the place of that we originally taught society in society, and now they teach us society, and then maybe you can go on in further education. It's, you know. Did you see the video? I want to say I might have seen it on Instagram. I don't think it was TikTok. Of the high school teacher who repeatedly asking the student to put her phone away. And she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. And finally, he came over and grabbed it and said, I'll give this back to you at the end of class. And she stood up and pepper sprayed him. Oh. And he, like, runs mm-hmm. into the hall because he's, like, you know, I mean, yeah. oh, and he's holding her phone, like, you know, stumbling around. And she comes out and she's screaming at him, mm-hmm. give me my phone. That's my property. And keeps spraying him. And, like, nobody did anything. Mm-hmm. But this that's because happens. that's her entire existence is that phone. And I, I noticed that trend, too, when I was uh, before it was, like, give me your phone. Okay. You know, I'll get it back at the end of the day and then give me your phone. Well, no. And then I got to call the Dean and the Dean comes get the phone. Then the, towards the end of my teaching, it was give me your phone. No. Okay. The Dean's going to come get it. And the Dean would arrive and the Dean, they'd say no. And the Dean's like, well, you can either give me your phone or should be suspended for three days. And they're like, I'll take the suspension. 
because it was literally who they were. It was their entire existence is that phone. And without it, they have nothing. They, they don't have anything to lean on, rely on and any personable skills. And it's, it's, you know, it's their whole social life now. So. Okay. That actually really touches my heart. It makes mm -hmm. me very sad. And mm -hmm. I think but it's that true. Is it's yeah. Good insights mm -hmm. because I hadn't thought of it that way. And again, the social emotional issues we're dealing with in schools are unparalleled and not like anything that's ever happened before. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Absolutely. as adults, we are not modeling for kids mm -hmm. how to be a good society and an upstanding society member. Because if you go on social media and say, you know, I don't like, I don't know, the tax on shoes or something, somebody else is going to be like, I'm not going to follow you because you, and you're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, we're not allowed to disagree anymore. And we yeah. live in the country where we have fought for the right to be able to have different perspectives and still work together and still create a society. And yet we're not modeling that for kids and they don't have the bandwidth to do that. They haven't seen what that looks like or how that, yeah, I, that's heartbreaking. Yep. For sure. It is. Well, I am going to the show tonight and Shannon will be with me. She is at work today and she's getting off early and driving at the speed limit to come down from Durango so that she can go to you guys' show with me. Awesome. We're super excited. I have a ton of friends here that are in education. So we're going to have our phones and interview people coming in and find out, you know, all the good stories are all so excited. I am like a grandma. I, I play Bunko once a month with some girlfriends I've been doing <laughs> it for years. So when I was at Bunko last week, a bunch of the gals that I play with are educators and they're like, oh my God, I got my tickets. I was like, are you going to go to that? I'm going to see you guys there. And they're so excited. Great. So That'll excited. I love it. I hope if you are not familiar with board teachers, if you are not familiar with Devin and his podcast, crying in my car. Mm -hmm. Yes. That you will check it out. I subscribe. Awesome. Thank you. I thumbs up those videos because honestly, we know there's a ton of teachers out there doing side hustles, just trying to expand themselves and have more income and just, mm -hmm. you know, be able to do more. And it's so important that we support them with our subscriptions and our downloads and our giving them stars and likes. It's super important. So, I mean, if you're watching this, yeah. There's the subscribe button. Yep, subscribe. <laughs> um, it just gets us a chance to get good guests, be able to have time to do the research, to bring forward good information, and then just get information out to people. And I think, honestly, education, even though it's a hard time right now, bringing things to light, we are sort of a community and we are trying to support one another. Mm -hmm. And I think Shannon and I are looking forward to getting a following that's large enough that we can really dive into special education and some of the things happening there. I think a lot of people need some mm -hmm. guidance on that. And that was sort of why we got into this in the first place. So we're getting there. We're getting there. Awesome. But thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you so much thank for you. making the time. I yeah, know this is a quick having... trip for you and you you gave me an hour of your life. So I really oh, appreciate good. that. I'm a super fan. Awesome. And we'll see you tonight. Thank you. Absolutely. It'll be a lot of fun. Trust me.